Hi, thank you for joining me on my podcast, No Agenda, No Apologies. This is Lisa Marie Costabile. Some of you may know me as Kota in the spiritual world. Thank you so much for coming by my podcast again. It's been wonderful. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And those listening through Apple Podcast, please, if you're so inclined, give me a review. It will keep the flow of the podcast going and generate more traffic. And that would be great. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been such a ride. I'm, I'm blown away by all the support, all the listeners. I'm getting all kinds of emails and requests and, and questions, and I'll try to get to everybody. Again, I really appreciate it. And if you feel like giving me that review in the Apple podcast, that would be great. Cheers. Have a great day. I'm really excited to welcome my next guest. He's a friend, very talented Ian Dorian, who is a visual artist and writer who creates stories and characters in the hero and animation genre. Some of the most famous creators today work alongside him on his various creations, his past clients include 20th Century Fox, Marvel Productions, and many other. And I'm very excited to welcome my friend, Ian. Hey, Ian, how are you? Hey, Lisa Marie. So good to be on the program. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I know you've been very busy. I know you've been very busy, <laughs> but thank you for taking the time. Oh, are you kidding me? It's a pleasure. I listened to your program. So it's really great to be on it as well. Thank you. I, you know, the best thing about this is I get to have my friends on that I've known for a long time. And I was going through either my Facebook feed and saying, wow, I, I know so many people that I've worked with, that I've been friends with for many, many years. So do you remember how we met? I'm sure you do. I, I do remember. I mean, it was, I mean, since we're very, very young, it's hard to remember. No, I'm only kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, I do remember that we were on, uh, we were doing some filming together. Yeah, actually. yeah. So, you our, know? so our mutual friend now, Doug Ferguson, he's a director. And I met Doug because he put some ad in, I think, maybe backstage. And I, I think I might have e emailed him. And I said, I literally, it was a, he wasn't even casting a part for me. I just said, um, I love martial arts. I think. What I'm seeing, you know, the synopsis looks amazing. And can I be involved in any capacity? And then he sent me, um, I think it was the script. And he's like, I'm going to offer you the small part. It wasn't a very big part, but that's how then the rest is history. And then I came on set and met all kinds of great people, including yourself. Oh, it was a real pleasure. I actually learned from you being on the show uh, in the filming and uh, uh, my twin brother Guy being in it. and. Uh, yeah. You know, it happened because my brother Guy, I used to do stage and my, uh, I was a dancer um, mm -hmm. and did some, some acting, but my brother was also doing acting and um, uh, he had been on uh, uh, a few television programs and, and some things like that. He had done some short, small spots on, on film mm -hmm. and Doug also knew that we were martial artists and we were comic book artists, really. We were doing... Uh, the New York uh, convention, the Big Apple Comic Con, was right, and uh, he was um, he was there, and he said, "You know, the two of you, I have a I have a film that I'm doing that has two principal roles for brothers, oh. and I'd love you guys to do it." And I said, "Well, you know, I mean, I've done some acting, you know, but uh, not so much in front of the screen. But I'll tell you, it was a really wonderful experience. I watched you." I watched my brother. I watched the other actors. Uh, my brother gave me some really good um, guidance. Uh, Doug actually gave me the best directing guidance. Uh, what he said was, I was playing a psychotic, uh, mm -hmm. crazy brother. Um, and I'm really, anybody who knows me, I'm <laughs> far from that. I'm quite the opposite <laughs> in a way. Mm -hmm. Non-threatening, you know, mm -hmm. what have you. So I said, well, how do I play this crazy guy? So in the beginning, I started playing like what I thought a crazy guy behaved like. Right. And, and Doug called me up and he said, Ian, I just want to talk to you. Just a few minutes. You'll understand me. I'll make it as clear as possible. Mm -hmm. He said, crazy people don't go crazy when crazy things happen. What makes them crazy is that they stay calm. And all of a sudden, it all made sense to me now because I was thinking I had to go 
take it to 11, go over the top, you know, and in a way you're still going to take it to 11, but you got to, you have to be in the right state of mind of what kind of um, thing you're trying to emote or express. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he told me that, I took it way down and I reversed the way I was behaving and reacting to dialogue or reacting to the, to the people I was acting with. And, and, and it really set the tone. And I was very happy that I was able to get that. It was a fantastic performance, by the way. All of it, it, it just really fell together. I have to say, and I'm sure Doug will listen to this, is that while on set, I thought, how is this going to be possible? There's barely anybody here. It was a skeleton crew. How is he going to do this? And of course, because he works magic, it just, it completely flourished in post and it looks fabulous. So, and the acting was amazing. Well, you know, actually there was a lot of great martial arts. There was a lot of great acting. Um, What I really liked was Doug was going for a level of authenticity. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was on a different budget and he, but he made it work really well. And, and I really appreciate that he took it all the way. Mm-hmm. He he uh, filmed it. He directed it. He had it edited. He reviewed it. He re-edited. He he put it up and he presented it in New York, and we got to watch it, and an audience got to watch it. That was so, amazing. Uh, I remember that. And he was a quite quite young director and writer, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I really was excited to be a part of that as well to watch him. Uh, you know, having a, a a great, famous, already famous person come to you, that's exciting, of course. But it's really exciting to have young, ambitious people also come to you and say, hey, I'd like to do this. And really, like, take control of their, their idea and their vision mm-hmm. and see it through. And, and he so, did. He did. Yeah. And that's something that's very rare. And that is why he was able to do that as a career. And it's something yeah, he's, that people oh, go ahead. No, he's doing very well now. I'm, I'm super proud of him. And it's something that a lot of people miss. So we all, we all want the fame and we all want to do, how do we do that? You know, I dreamt of doing this or I wanted to do that. Honestly, what I've really discovered, especially in the careers that I've chosen since then and, and continuing um, certainly in the visual arts, was that I, I can't think too much about what will or will not happen to me. Right. Or what someone will like or dislike or, or, or what have you. You can't be afraid of judgment because you will be judged. Don't worry. It will happen to you anyway. <laughs> Especially <laughs> so, in the field that you're in. Sure, of course. Um, the thing is, you have to be the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always mean that you are always going to be 100%, but you're going to give it. And the thing is, you have to be committed. I think the greatest thing is to be 100%, both feet in the water, committed to what it is you wish to accomplish. At what point did you know what you wanted to accomplish? You know, that's a good question. Um, I would... If you don't mind, I'm going to answer it twice, but just a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I I knew that I wanted to be an illustrator always. I really enjoy the act of drawing. It's almost performative. Mm -hmm. And I I really enjoy the results. And more importantly, the results that I get from other people, like how they feel when they look at the work, they're excited or something. The next part is that, that how I get there or or how I, how I put both feet in the water and really commit that complete percentage, it really changes based on the need of the project. And, and I change, as most people do. I think all people mm-hmm. really just want to keep challenging themselves or exploring new things. Right. Um, and so when I get to a certain level and I feel that I've accomplished it and, and I've learned the things that I feel uh, I learned that I needed to learn from it, I, I, then I, then I ask myself, well, well, what's the next challenge? And I think that when people, and I'm not afraid of it. So in other words, it's not that I'm afraid, I'm not afraid of doing something. I'm not afraid of failing at something. Right. And I, and I think that the number one way to success 
is not just, you don't even have to think about success, actually. You just have to not be afraid of failing often. What do you call yourself these days? I refer to myself as a creator. And these days, most people, within the context of comic books and graphic novels, are referred to, the blanket term is creator. So um, in film, they use talent. Mm -hmm. So in comics, we use creators. So, I mean, sometimes we are referred to as talent, but I think everyone has a special talent. The editors are extremely talented. When you get a very good editor, it will make you shine. And Mm -hmm. we use a term called plussing. And um, um, when you're working with the right team, everyone, whether they're in a small position or what seems to be a small position or a very big position and they get all the kudos, everyone's working synergistically um, that way to sort of bring everything to life and plus one another. And um, one of the things I say um, is uh, to go back to your question, um, I, I um, first of all, about the failing part, I was very afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I was also very afraid of success. And it took me, unfortunately, or fortunately, years to realize that sometimes when I made choices, or maybe I should say most of the times when I made choices, it was usually to avoid the thing I was afraid of failing at or avoid the thing that I thought, if I achieve this, I'm going to have to keep this up. What if they discover I'm not really good? And it was so polarizing that I was practically neutralized myself. Now, did this happen in the past X amount of years, kind of recent past, or is this something that was a while ago? This or? is most of my life, to be honest. Wow. And, 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 and it took... It took many years of reflection, uh, failing, uh, small successes to start giving me that sort of confidence I needed. It's sort of like doing those, you know, you don't go in and just, uh, let's say you're in a gym or you're going to exercise today. You don't just go in and start doing the heaviest thing or the fastest thing or the hardest thing. You work up to it Mm -hmm. and you do it bit by bit. And I think in life, if we, if we're, it's okay. So here's the thing. You're going to want to go bit by bit. You're going to want to forgive yourself for failing because even though you may not be aware of it, while you're failing, you're growing and you're getting closer to success. Again, going back to what I said earlier, you don't have to focus on succeeding. You just have to not be afraid of repeatedly failing. Because before it, before you know it, you'll open your eyes and you are successful. You did get to that thing and that place that you wanted to be. And then when you get there, you're going to discover that there's other places you want to go. Mm-hmm. And you may even miss where you used to be. <laughs> so, so it's always being in that moment and staying true to that moment and committing all the energy you have to that moment. And it's a testament for yourself to feel pride, whether you fail or succeed immediately or not. Right. Um, The next thing was the polarization that happens with most people and even successful people. When I say successful, I could be speaking about fame. I know I'm friends, as you probably are well aware, as you are too, um, and maybe some of the listeners here, I'm friends with some very successful people in the media and television and film. And actually, a lot of my friends are not artists, although I have a lot of great, amazing artist friends who've worked on wonderful movies, lots of great, some of my best friends are at Pixar, uh, some really great friends at Sony and DreamWorks and, um, and Disney, certainly. Um, but I have a lot of friends who are live action actors they they perform on stage or or film and they've been in in movies with the rock and so forth and um and I'll, I'll say that we all have those feelings and they don't exactly go away right no matter what level as a matter of fact and 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 we all know this you may know this i'm sure you know this actually um 
that even some of our friends who are extremely successful are still struggling with certain things. And, And one of the biggest things for successful people, meaning people who achieve the goal they set out to do, that is, that is how I personally define success. Not whether I'm rich or famous or anything else, but I, mm-hmm. I set out for a goal. I achieved the goal. That makes me successful. Successful people often find themselves questioning their, their validity or their abilities even after they've achieved success. And in a way, it, as long as you don't let that paralyze you mm-hmm. and you keep that philosophy. And by the way, the philosophy coalesced when I had a chance to work with, um, I was doing a, a project for Capital One Cafe and I was doing a campaign and it was in the style of an animated um, work with interactive work. It was, it was very, um, very up to date, very ahead of its time, challenging kind of project because we were doing interactive characters and animation that were like motion graphic, which is, moving still images that from comic books but it was part of a campaign where people would interact with the comic and and uh this was a huge visual campaign and some great friends of mine from pixar who had who had moved on to other careers and a few of them now at uh, capital one heading up and and working within the, the creative arts uh and uh um advertising and so forth they called me up and they said, hey, Ian, we have this uh, comic book project we're working on and you're the guy we're thinking about. And I said, hey, you know, I'm working on a project right now. Um, maybe I can just kind of, you can send me some sketches, send me what you're doing and I'll, I'll kind of give some suggestions to you and, and, and then you can go and finish your work. I don't, I don't need to be brought on. I, if anything I can do to help would be my pleasure. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to, to hire me. And it was, um, Mark Holmes, wow. um, who had, he had spent about just about 20 some odd years at Pixar. He was there only a few years after Pixar began. And he worked on all the major films. He was an artist and designer on, on, um, A Bug's Life and several other projects. And, uh, he's become one of my besties. He's, he's a truly great friend, one of the best people I've ever met. And I'll tell you this, they, they have an idea, a philosophy at Pixar, and that is to fail often and to fail quickly. So the idea is that if you fail very quickly and you fail very often, not long afterwards, you're going to start succeeding. So you want to start by failing and you want to fail often. Because the wheels churn faster and faster and you gain greater traction and vision of what your purpose and goals are by failing often. And, and this is how every project, and they are not afraid to start over. There's one thing about the, that makes Pixar so great is that if they are in a project and they do not feel that it has moved in the direction of their true vision, they will scrap it and start over. They won't say, well, you know, we've committed so much time. I can't give up on this now. I'll just see what I get. Mm-hmm. No, they, they are okay with wiping the slate clean and starting anew. As a matter of fact, there's a little anecdote and it doesn't have to do with uh, Pixar necessarily. It has to do with uh, uh, Disney. And that is uh, a project, uh, uh, a, a 2D animated program, uh, film that maybe a lot of people may know. Uh, the Emperor's New Groove. Well, that actually was done twice. Oh, hence the the title New Groove. It was actually the they made two versions of that film. So, the secret to all of this big time billion dollar success is 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 being comfortable with failing, being surrounding yourself with people who are challenging you at every turn, and not being afraid that. Someone says to you, hey, you're not at your best right now, but we'll get there. And everyone has that philosophy. How do you, um, what would you tell our audience to become the best? Like is, you know, like in comic books or animation, like if a, a young person, young aspiring person was listening, like what, what is your day like? What is Ian's day like? Okay, so there's, 
two things. Um, I'll answer uh, sort of what is Ian's day like, and then uh, and I'll answer the the what can someone do, uh, so forth and such. Um, so my day is pretty simple. It is not complex. So, uh, but I'm um, I'm a fifty year old guy, so maybe <laughs> that's why. But okay, so uh, I eat healthy. Um, it's not a necessity, but it helps. It helps to maintain energy throughout the day. Um, I keep my hands busy, so my hands aren't eating things. You know, I I'm what do drawing. you what exactly are you drawing on a daily basis? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm usually drawing characters. Uh, I'm usually drawing maybe a sequential comic book page that's many images juxtaposed next to one another. Um, in, in a sequence on the page to tell a story. In other words, uh, not the single image isn't the full story, but the sequence. The interesting thing about that is there's a, even though they're similar, comic book storytelling is different than, say, storyboarding for a film, where the format, meaning the shape and proportion of the screen, never changes in a film. So what goes on within the film in the format of the space is very important. In a comic book page, the reader guides and controls the timing and the movement. Now, the artist can try to use uh, techniques that we have to speed things up and slow things down. Images with lots of detail could often take the reader a longer time to view, whereas something with very little detail but with a very defined shape is easy to read quickly so we can get keep the story moving. So there are ways to pace the story. Um, with filmmaking, the pacing is something quite different. And then that's going to be changed again when it hits the director's table and then later on when it's in the editing room and in the old adage, the cutting room floor, you know. Uh, but a regular day for me is to wake up, um, have a, a light breakfast, uh, and pretty much uh, maybe make a phone call or two or a text message to some people that I care about. And just tell them I hope they have a great day. And then I sit down and I start to draw. I will say this. It's not always the same day. I try the same thing, but I'm not always successful. So I may have a day where I will draw. An average day for me is between eight. Uh, the least will be six. An average will be about eight to ten. And there are days where I'm doing 12 to 15 hours. And that would be for seven to 14 to 20 some odd days straight without a break. Are you working on a specific project when you're spending, you know, 15 hours in the chair, right? Uh, drawing? Well, yeah. Um, uh, it could be many different projects. So I worked on recently, I released uh, about a year, not even a year ago. I released uh, with uh, PKMM entertainment. I released a graphic novel that I uh, created and co-created with a, a writer named Jim, Jim Kruger. Jim Kruger has uh, received uh, many accolades as a writer in the comics uh, field. Um, he's uh, actually was a filmmaker and writer, and um, he has written plays as well. Um, and I created with Matthew Pallotta. He was a, a co-worker on it for another in, uh, field that had nothing to do with animation, uh, excuse me, animation or comics. And uh, we, um, we, we knew that we both wanted to create new stories and characters. And so we started a company together, sort of. And I say sort of because essentially he had an existing company and then he expanded upon that uh, along with his family um, and uh, trusting me to go ahead and bring my experience from having worked with other artists in Marvel and DC and so forth and some of these other projects to, to come in and into the project. And uh, that became, uh, you know, when I go to work, I don't set out to work a certain amount of hours. What I set out to do is to accomplish a certain thing in the day. I don't always accomplish it, but I know that if I keep my mind on accomplishing it, I will be able to get through the project. The, the second thing is I don't think about how long it's taking. I just focus on doing it as precisely as possible. The only time I think about how long it takes is when I want to, when I have other people I have to satisfy. 
And they may have other people they have to satisfy, like the audience, the collectors, the readers, uh, or the viewers, if you will. Therefore, therefore, I consider time as one of my, as part of the, part of the entire process. So drawing is not separate from inking or separate from color or separate from character development or design, nor is it separate from the, the time and the schedule. This time and the schedule is actually part of the whole project and it shouldn't be seen as separate. And that's my advice, by the way, to the younger people or the, maybe they're not younger people, maybe they're people who have careers but wish to switch into this career. Your medium that you work with, one of them is time. And and uh, being prepared for those people who are counting on you is part of the expectation. And when when you make that an element of your practice to to accomplish that, to 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 make those deadlines, to make that time, then what you do is you have a, a more uh, efficient production. You have a happier teammates. You have people who have their work getting out because you're working in groups usually. So if you don't accomplish what you need to do, no one else does. And certainly that's true on a, on a film set, you know? Um, so, so, uh, there will be days where you won't be your best version of yourself every day, but darn it, you're going to try. And uh, again, that comes down into, it comes back to the plusing where the people who are working with you say, Hey, um, I see you need a little support here on this. I've got that covered. Leave that as it is. I'll finish that off. You go to the next thing. And editors, that's where editors uh, come in and in that, in, in some ways, um, uh, producers or what have you, but they're, they're trying to help the project move along and get accomplished. And different things come along the way during that day that we're having. And, and so we're, 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 we're plusing each other, helping each other, backing each other up because it's not about you. So you want to be your best self. But when you're doing a job, when you're on a project, it's for the people who are going to experience it. So as while you have to have enough of an ego to believe in yourself when people tell you you can't do it, or people just don't open the door. Maybe they don't close the door, but they're, they're, they don't feel the impetus to open the door either. Now, I was going to ask you, now, what is the process of a graphic novel? Like, how does one, I mean, I, I hear that all the time. I hear maybe younger people say, I want to, you know, adapt a, or make up a um, graphic novel. How, how does one go about that? Okay, so the first thing I'll tell you is the majority of the people making graphic novels today are... Um, actually, uh, uh, more mature people, like people are doing it in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and they're working and they're very prolific. The one thing I will say to the younger people is that, you know, if you want to tell your story and uh, then you need to definitely think about clearly what story you want to tell and tell your story that you understand. It doesn't mean you can't tell it with spaceships and with crazy monsters or with uh, maybe a person of a different gender than you um, or, or a greater melanin than you. But definitely tell the story that is more, try to find that universal aspect in your life story or your story you wish to write that maybe comes from fantasy but is always inspired from reality. So you want to look at uh, things like we all understand what it is to feel pain physically and emotionally. We all understand what it's like to desire something and not be able to have it. We all understand what it's like to be held or to want to hold someone. So these, these simple things, believe it or not, can actually help you write an entire graphic novel, which, by the way, is about the standard length of a screenplay. 
which is why graphic novels are so popular and so clearly and easily, I would say, for the most part, easily translated or understood, I should say, by producers, actors who want to or are looking for new stories to tell on on the screen and and there and and so forth. Um, so they're looking for these stories. A lot of people don't know that graphic novels have been a part of film and film stories and characters for decades, but people don't realize it. In most cases for a graphic novel, what comes first, the illustration or the writing? You know, it's interesting. It really depends on who's doing it. You know, if, if it's a prolific person, someone with a lot of experience, someone familiar with, the, with the, all the different steps and processes, then they may do all at once. They might come up with a drawing or an idea or an image, and then that might inspire some writing, and they might go back to some drawing and then back to writing. Um, if they're not an artist, then they will most certainly begin with writing. If they're not a writer, they will most certainly usually begin with drawing. If you're a storyteller, then you'll probably do both, meaning you're just concerned about the story. And it's not whether you draw well or even write well. You know, you can tell a compelling story and then bring on other people to work with you to help you uh, improve your understanding of the story you want to tell and bring it to life. Again, I can't stress enough throughout this, um, this time with you the importance of, of, of getting help when you need it, learning on the job while you're creating, not being afraid to fail, failing often, not just once, and, and allowing people to plus you and to help you because you become a better version of yourself. And you never know. The next project might be brought to you from someone else trying to do something that they've developed. And now you're a better version of yourself and you can do that for them. And I, I will tell you, um, you don't need a lot to make a comic book or graphic novel today. You don't need, I remember, you don't need a lot of money. I remember when I was uh, uh, probably around 2021, 20, something like that, my identical twin brother, Guy Dorian, who is a comic book artist and character creator, um, he's currently working with uh, John and Sandy Carpenter. Um, um, he created his own comic book. And back then, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have... Uh, computers were bleep bleep. They were green screens with, <laughs> uh, so, so if you wanted to publish your own comic book, you had to actually print it. You, you, you didn't have a, you couldn't press a button and upload it to a server or to a site. And so when you had to do that, you had to go to a printer. The thing is the printer wasn't going to print one or two or a hundred copies. They would only print maybe a thousand. So you had to be able to afford a thousand copies. And if you couldn't afford 10,000 or 20,000 or 50,000, like the major publishers, it was going to cost you a lot more to print that book. So a young, my brother, a very young man, uh, a one child, uh, uh, and um, uh, not familiar with how this works, had to come up with thousands of dollars decades ago just to publish a bunch of books and maybe, maybe sell some of them. Today, there's really no excuse to not go after your goals and to not achieve them if you wish to make a graphic So novel. someone at home literally could write and, and illustrate it and, or get some partners that could illustrate and then work and collaborate and then print it on their own? Absolutely, without a doubt. As a matter of fact, they don't even have to print it. They just publish it on the internet and, and they're done and they're good to go. They can even sell it mm -hmm. immediately through, through some other form. And uh, whether it be Amazon or another, another process or, or, or form. Um, and they shouldn't worry about whether it's drawn exceptionally well or written exceptionally well. They should try to. They should learn. 
You learn to write by writing and you learn to write by reading. You learn to draw by drawing and you learn to draw by looking at art. Um, I'm sure you could give similar advice for acting. And um, so, you know, it's really uh, the resources is another thing. Resources for accomplishing your goals today have never been more available than on YouTube is an amazing resource. I was a professor for 20 years, and I still used YouTube as a resource not only for myself, while watching other artists that I admire and, and, and uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, brushing up on techniques or learning new techniques maybe I never challenged myself with, and um, as a, a resource for learning about the kinds of stories I want to tell, like where, like if I want to tell a story in space or can, can how do... How, what does it feel like for an astronaut? It's you amazing. can do these things, especially today. with the the kids homeschooling it now. Um, there's all kinds of stuff on the internet that they're offering for free. It, it's really amazing, and and education and information, and uh, has never been more available. And while we see that so many people are learning online and and spending so much time on the computer and not in front of other people, well, right now we need to do that. We need to be, we need to stay um, careful. And it's not that, um, it's because of the lockdown essentially across the planet. And I think the real, I mean, I'm no expert and I, and I make a claim right now, do not look at me for any medical advice or anything like that. That's my disclaimer. I'm an artist. I think I've been clear about that. So what I will say is, um, I think what they're trying to do is it's not so much that you can't go out or can't be careful. I think it's more that they're trying to manage the amount of people so that that need care so that they don't overwhelm the medical community. And so that the medical community can not only help you, but help you with, with the kind of care you're going to need. So that is why it's so important even if you think you can get by, to to really try to understand that it really isn't just about you, this staying home or this being careful or this distance. It's about everyone. This is our chance to show that we care about everyone by being careful uh, for the sake, especially for the sake of those who may be compromised, may be older, and, and may need us to be careful for their sake. So that being said, now's your time. Everyone's home. That thing you wanted to do all your life, that thing you wanted to write, that thing you wanted to draw, that, that um, um, movie you want to make, do a one-person act, you know, um, that quilt you wanted to, to, to stitch, that uh, food you wanted to learn to cook, that letter you wanted to write to someone. Right, exactly. The the food and the um, cooking and family time and being creative. I don't think I've ever been this creative in a long time, a long time. Speaking of me being creative, what are you, you I, I know you're doing something there, Ian. <laughs> what, are you, what are you working on now? <laughs> okay. What has inspired you now? Okay, so... Um, uh, since I'm a freelance artist, I constantly do my own projects while I do pro independent projects, but I do them while I'm working for others. So I'm actually working on a few things. I'm working for a company called Valiant Entertainment. They're in New York City. And um, uh, they they recently put out a movie um, with Vin Diesel. Um, and they've been around they've been around for, geez, over 20 years, I believe, 25 years. And uh, they have some really great characters, and I've had the opportunity to do some work on some covers uh, on a book called Doctor Tomorrow, and uh, I was able to do uh, work, uh, although we are currently on hiatus, uh, I've been able to do some interior work on a book called Eternal Warrior, which has been really exciting. And I have to say, a big kudos to uh, Greg uh, Tamborello, to Drew, and uh, to all the people at Valiant. They have been very patient with me. They have been very supportive of me. They've been kind. They've paid me um, quickly and promptly. 
And it's very important for freelancers to get paid promptly. It's how we keep doing the work. That being said, um, and I'm thankful to work with them and for them. Um, uh, that being said, I'm also working on uh, uh, a new book, a new title. As I mentioned, a, a graphic novel came out not even a year ago. We released it at New York Comic Con uh, in uh, last October. Uh, and it's called Law of Resistance. And there were three versions, uh, three three parts to this initial story, uh, Law of Resistance. And the next section was Son of Resistance. I did not illustrate Son of Resistance, although I was still part of the creative process for the plot development, which is something I really enjoyed. Uh, the beats, the story, the main crux to, uh, of, of how this story will move forward. And, and some character designs as well that I was able to do for that. Um, now there's the third installment, which is Children of Resistance, which um, I am currently working on. And, and uh, I was speaking with Matthew, Matthew Pallotta, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, who, who started all these, this, uh, um, these projects with me. And he is, the, um, he is in charge of the projects. He manages them. And uh, he co-created, and he's been a um, um, a real um, real partner in developing ideas and ideation, you know, in brainstorming. Um, that being said, I'm working on character development, and I've written uh, the overall plot for the series, and uh, I wrote um, uh, key points and beats for issue one, and. Um, and I'm about to begin illustrating that. Now, your your writing process, how long does it take you to write? It, it all comes down to how clear, once again, how clear your vision is. So there are days when my vision is super clear, and I can just write words down, and, and they make sense. They just make sense. And I'm like, well, this is really coming together. And then the next day, the very next day, or the very next full week, I could be struggling, writing and writing, and just nothing's making sense. It's not coalescing. It's not coming together. And then I wake up, or um, uh, maybe I don't wake up. Maybe I just had a, I don't know, I had some a breakfast, and, and I looked out the window, and all of a sudden uh, I get hit with this like epiphany, and it all makes sense what I've been trying to do. And and I say, oh, you know, the reason why that wasn't working was because I, I was looking to the left with my story when I should have been looking to the right. That's where this story has been going. The, the one thing I would say is everybody's going to tell you how you should write your story. They'll tell you whether a story is character or character is story or, or plot first or this first or that first. Um, I happen to like to know the ending before I begin my the meat of my story i also don't i believe everything including the characters exist for the sake of your your overall story that you wish to tell so like if you think about the movie which was by the way a graphic novel before it mm-hmm. road Love to perdition um yeah um if you think about that the title in and of itself explains what this man's goal was. Perdition. It, you can describe in one word. Now, you can't understand the characters. You can't understand character iteration or, or character relationships or dialogue. But you know what the story is about. And I would urge anyone, whether they're having a hard time writing whether it seems to be moving forward, because sometimes when it's moving forward really well, you can't end up using it at the end of the week because you were in the wrong direction. But again, that's part of that failure. That's part of that failure, which isn't really a failure. It's getting you to that place. So in this case, I would say, you know, for me, I really believe that um, every element of the of the dialogue, to the beats, to the character, I, I really believe they all exist for the sake of that story, not the story for the character. It's just my opinion, and it's a humble one. 
How many illustrations or pages do you go through a day? You must be fat. Like, how fast are you? Well, I can tell you fast is, it's, it's, I'm not the fastest illustrator. That's for sure. I'm probably, um, I'm more of a renderer. Renderers are, are people who draw lots of detail. Often we refer to those people as rendering a lot. Um, although it's not the exact use of the word, but, but in this case, you understand the context. So, um, so, um, there are stylistic approaches. Some are very simple, direct, clean lines, not much detail, but the story moves forward. Other people, you, they're more uh, poetic when they draw, if you excuse the term or try to understand the, the, my interpretation of the term. So they, they go into nuances and so forth. And illustrators like that um, tend to take longer to do what they do but they tend to give a, a kind of result that people can really uh, sink their teeth into or their hearts or their minds into. Um, that being said, it's not necessary to do that. Um, I'll give some examples. Uh, I learned, uh, some of the things I've learned, I learned while being in the studio in the 1990s of Neil Adams. And Neil Adams is considered one of the greatest icons of comic book history. And uh, he had continuity studios in New York City on uh, West 45th Street. And I was brought in there by Lou Small Jr., who was an illustrator for, for Marvel, and he was also working for, for Neil Adams, who had his own studio and his own comic, comic company and advertising company, which he still does today, by the way. And Neil is incredibly talented and incredibly masterful and still producing as much, if not more, as he was 40 years ago and 20 years ago. The thing is, we're passionate about what we do, so we never stop. He, so here's the thing. You know, you're not going to know what, how much you're going to be able to produce in a day. It's going to be determined by how clear your vision is of what it is your, your task is. But um, if there's a scene with 400 figures fighting a, a huge battle, and I'm, I'm expected by the, the staff or the writers or, or I was requested to give a detailed visual image of that. Well, to draw that would take, could take days. But on another page, I might have two people talking or one person thinking. And I might have an eyeball, the side of a face, a silhouette of a figure, and a tree on the whole page. And the tree might be a night scene, another silhouette. Well, I could probably draw that in a few hours. But the, the other page, maybe a few days. So really you're, you're balancing. Like a professional starts, professional means you just get paid for what you do. Or, or let's say someone very used to and familiar with the process will kind of look at the script and they're going to know where they may take, where they're going to need a little more time and where where they're going to have a lot more time. And um, so it's really your sort of, it's not this sort of consistent daily production always. Some people are that way, but they've gotten their process down so specific that they have been able to manage their time and their approach wisely. And that's not just something you do to become a professional. That's something you improve upon while you're a professional. So uh, let me give an example and a very quick one. Jack Kirby, while a lot of people think that Stanley created everything, Stanley is the, the figurehead, but he didn't create everything and he certainly didn't create everything on his own. As a matter of fact, the most prolific creator of the Marvel comics industry, of the comics industry ever, and certainly of Marvel Comics, is Jack Kirby, uh, Jacob Kurtzberg. But at the time, like Stanley Lieber and Jacob Kurtzberg, at the time when they were creating, people didn't want to really know that they were Jewish. So they, it was better to sort of have more of a acceptable name. So Jack Kirby became his name, and Stan Lee became their names because people were more accepting of it. You know, they're the largest, I hate to bring this up, but I'll just say very quickly, the largest Nazi rally in human history was where? Madison Square Garden. I'm sorry, but it's true. 
So uh, look at your history books. You'll know it. Anybody who's listening to this. Um, 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 so here's the deal. At that time, when these guys were creating, they had to change their names and they had to also, they were under the gun. They didn't make a lot of money. They weren't getting famous for what they were doing. So they had to develop a process and a style and approach that, and techniques that allowed them to produce the books faster to get it to the fans. Now, why does this matter? Because they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have video games. They didn't have color TV. If you, they didn't even have, so if you were going to have color entertainment in your hands, it was either coming from a magazine or a comic book, which was also referred to as a comic magazine. So that's why they had millions of readers every month. It was not um, hard, and it was a common for Superman back in 1938, 1939, 1940s, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, or Batman, Detective Comics, to sell a million copies a month was not a problem. Today, to sell a tenth of that is, a, is an achievement. To sell a twentieth of that or a hundredth of that is even a personal achievement for an independent publisher. What does it tell me? It just tells me that there's, there's, um, that people are, uh, are, are getting used to a different medium. But here's the deal. It's okay. Comic book artists are not, most comic book artists are not threatened by this. Here's why. You see, you don't have animation and you don't have films if you don't have stories. And we're the people who create stories. We visualize them and we write them. We bring existing content to the world. And this is how many of the stories get told in Hollywood, in Emeryville, and so forth. I will say, however, that Pixar, specifically Pixar, I deeply admire them. Again, you know, I know a lot of people there and I admire them as, as individuals and as creators. Um, but they write and create all new, all in, all new stories and all new characters. And to be so successful for so many decades, it's un, it's unprecedented. I have some, uh, you know, if you watch television, most of the uh, animated shows are coming from comic books. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Batman, The Avengers, Justice League. Etc., 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 or they're coming from toy products. So, so, uh, there's this sort of relationship today between product, uh, it's, it's consumer products, people who consume the products we, we like. So, hats, cups, mugs, which I worked in consumer products, um, hats, cups, mugs, t shirts, party stuff, uh, games, video games. Uh, graphic novels, feature films, animated films, all coming from the projects uh, that could be made cheaper, faster, and where they could reach the audience to get what we call traction. And those pro products are usually comic books or graphic novels. So uh, the reason, once again, the reason why graphic novels are so valuable is because you could pick it up in your hand it's about the length of a movie script, as, a, uh, as I had mentioned before, a screenplay. And you can flip through it. A producer can flip through it. An actor can flip through mm -hmm. it. A writer, uh, uh, um, a director, and get an idea of how this story plays mm -hmm. out and who these characters are. And this makes graphic novels so mm -hmm. important today. The reason why so many people wish to make graphic novels, it's not the only reason. So I don't wish to pigeonhole this right. whole industry, not at all, because it, there's so many valuable things we get from it. But uh, the reason why um, graphic novels are so important is because they are the next thing for a lot of directors and actors. And where and do you think the industry is going as far as illustration or graphic novels or in anything with comic books with this whole lockdown. I mean, we keep hearing two months, six months, two years. Really great questions. Well, here's the magical thing. Since most of us work remotely already, the writers, we don't get in, in rooms together always. 
only only maybe the brain trusts at Marvel, DC, Disney, Warner, they get together for that. Pixar, but outside of those groups, and today they're they're virtual. You know, they're 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 uh, calling in. Um, but uh, the industry will come back uh, with uh, with a with a with a strength. I believe uh, many people might say, "Oh, well, we're they're going to die if they the, the comics industry." If w- what's really going to happen is the comic book stores mm. are having the real challenge. The comic book store owners heartbreaking are having a real mm-hmm. challenge, and this is where it's this is where it's a challenge for these independent people who've committed to this industry they love, committed to st- the stories. And you know, I, I have to say. The comic book shop, we, we tend to use the term shop instead of store. The comic book shop is almost like a club or group. And it doesn't mean you can't join, because you can, just by entering. And maybe talking to some people, sharing some things about the books you love or the characters you love. And people really love to get into it because we're really just, um, we're really just fans of stories. Whether it's the art or the writing that brings us in there or both. Everyone that's going in there is just fans of stories. And I don't know a single person that isn't a fan of stories. And all of those stories, as as different as they may be, characters may not look like you. Again, they may be different genders, this and that. There are aspects within those stories that relate to your life. And so I urge people, when, when the time comes that you can go back to the stores, go to the comic shops. Buy a book. Buy, buy a graphic novel, buy a, a reprinted old school book for, for, for a low price, buy an, buy an old copy that's in the 25 cent bin and just get used to flipping through those books and looking at those stories. And they're going to be of many different values. Number one, they're going to keep the stores open. Number two, they're going to keep, when the stores stay open, the independent publishers who manage to get their books in the, in the shops will be able to keep making stories. The kinds of stories that you and I and other people want to read and the kind of stories that end up, maybe they won't be a, a big Hollywood production, but they'll become Road to Perdition or American History X or another uh, kind of story that we're just blown away by because these independent people who truly believe they had a story to tell decided to do it within this, this, this uh, process of this graphic novel. and. Uh, bring it to a large audiences, whether they're heavy readers or light readers. And um, this the shops, if we can help them stay open, maybe buy their products online, because now a lot of the shops have opened. If they didn't already have online shops, you can go to those shops. You can, and especially your There's local some shops. Great ones Look here in online. LA just opened up um, curbside pickup for a bookstore. So that's a good. Good thing. There's some good uh, comic book shops here. Yeah, I would. I would say you know that's something uh, I would say is really important. And you know, in a time when many of us are getting information told to us, where we have multimedia, where we don't have to read something, it'll it'll speak to you, or we'll watch a video clip rather than read about something. In this time, while that's still a wonderful experience, it's still valuable to read. You you retain the information better. I would say, and you retain it for you. It becomes like sort of a, a, a part of you. And, and I would say that if they can keep reading books and keep reading graphic novels and, or maybe start um, and maybe share them, you know, when you buy something, you read it, share it with someone else. That is the one thing I will say about the printed book that, that is so important and so valuable that I never thought of. And, and I want you to know, I subscribe to to online comic books. I, I I have a subscription with Marvel, and I've had it for years. I have a subscription, even if I own the actual published books. I have a subscription with uh, DC. Um, I uh, buy uh, downloadable books to read, uh, educational books, um, and even to listen to. Um, certainly, Harry Potter. I'm a huge Potter fan. Uh, Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman, the, the one of the greatest writers alive, in my opinion. Um, uh, and I don't think it's much of an opinion. I think it's more of a uh, obvious. Um, although many writers might not appreciate that, I really don't care. Um, 
that being said, uh, the book itself, the actual physical book, can be handed down to someone, and then they can hand it down. And in 150 years, the format hasn't changed, the words still ring true, and the books are still in your possession or someone else's. Yeah, my daughter obviously. loves comic books. We do go to the comic. There's one over in North Hollywood, I think. Comic book shop. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's just a place. It's a place for anyone. I would also say this. If you're a comic book creator or, or a creator within a, the visual medium, go outside the visual medium to be inspired. If your medium, if you're, if you're used to working in, in, in paint and drawing, watch some movies. Read a literature, read poetry, uh, take a dance class, do something outside of your, 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 your current field to sort of open your mind up and expand your mind to other things. I can tell you, I've, I've come up with some great storylines by watching people interacting with each other at the park or in the store or, uh, something like that, or a conversation with, with a, with a, um, uh, someone I've just met that, and, and learning something new about, or learning something new about someone I've known for years. And, um, I've, I've gotten so much inspiration from classical literature for my graphic novel work. I'm inspired by the work of different cultures too. Like one of the greatest things I've seen to speak about culture and the changing culture and, and expectation and, and understanding in America. Um, certainly in, in the Black Panther Great film. Great film. Yeah. What an amazing, what an amazing accomplishment. And thank you. Uh, I'm glad that you liked the film. But even if people didn't like the film and say they're, they're not into superheroes or they're not into this and that, this was a great yeah. accomplishment. That kind of film definitely... I think caught a lot of various kinds of people. It was one of those films, different ages yeah, and, and, I'm gonna and stuff. That was a great film. There's two reasons why I bring it up. Number one, kids of all colors and genders and ages wanted to dress like the Black Panther. This is a magical thing because most people of color in this country have very rarely had characters that look like them. That is one of the great things about today's creators who don't give up on the industry and today's collectors and readers who don't give up on the industry and continue to purchase and continue to read. They make it possible for, for the, the stories the way we wish to tell them today. Right. They get told. And um, um, the other thing was to see Hollywood I've never, I, I don't know another film that was directed, cr the creators, the actors, the designers, virtually everyone on the team was, uh, was of color. And they produced a billion dollar film they developed. And the people in Hollywood finally got, Kevin Feige deserves mad respect. Number one, for his respect for creators like myself, people who, who create, um, maybe we're not rich. Maybe the whole world doesn't know us, but we're, we're committed to telling good stories. And his commitment to us, he's, he's mentioned the, the creators that many people wouldn't know, in particular Jack Kirby, who did most of the creating of most of the characters we see, including Black Panther, by the way, and uh, the Avengers, the X-Men, uh, Fantastic Four. Um, he, he, he respects the original creators and he tries to respect them in his movies as well as he can, given the, the different process, the different medium and the different needs of today's society. So, uh, all of that coming together today, if you want to know how the industry is doing, it's doing great. If you want to know if it's being challenged, the store owners are being challenged. The publishers are the distributor, it's really come because of, also mostly because the distributor, the, there's one main distributor in America, and that's Diamond Distribution, one, and um, of, of published books, of printed books. And if they cannot have people 
printing and distributing, then then there has to be like a hiatus, a, a, you know, uh, uh, for everyone in the industry. So we're just hoping that the and I would say, I, I say a lot of kudos to a lot of creators, uh, artists like myself, writers, um, and and other store owners and and fans and collectors um, going to going online and and buying uh, books from online stores to help those stores keep paying their bills and stay alive. So they're there when, when they are able to reopen and we can visit them either for the thousandth time or for the first time. And a lot of the artists have really banded together and we're producing um, artwork that we're giving away to, to, to uh, organizations to sell, to help give, give aid to these stores that's wonderful so these store owners so that yes and um um it's something to note about the industry you have so much great stuff to say um it, we're gonna leave it at this is um is there anything coming out that you have isn't the um yeah oh yeah well um you'll see uh in the near future um you'll see when the industry has returned to its its uh stasis you will see um, Eternal Warrior by me. And then the other project will come out probably within a year to year and a half because it's a, it's a lengthy project. It's a six-issue book, The Children of Resistance, and lots of development, lots of people working on it, lots of editing to be done once it's accomplished, before it's published. Um, and then a lot of other projects that I'll be doing here and there um, with other great creators and companies. Um, that's so wonderful. I, I feel very gifted, uh, but I have to say it's a challenge. You have to give up a lot to get what you want. For many years that I didn't make a lot of money and didn't earn a living because I wasn't prepared to do that, do that technically, artistically, creatively, in my sensibility of the industry. But I held fast and I, I steadfast and I held true to it. And that's why I'm doing it today. And it's worth it. Such great insight, Ian. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank so you wonderful. for having me. What a pleasure it is to I be know, on your, your program. Know. Like I said, I listened to your program. I really enjoy it. You get great guests, and I'm very, I'm deeply appreciative to be one of those people to to be able to be amongst those others. And, Thank you. Um, um, you give great insight, and you have a a way about you that is. Um, inspiring that's and so I sweet thank you no thank you thank you for your time i know you're busy and we'll talk soon okay you have a wonderful wonderful night thank you so much for having me on the show and uh and thank you everybody for who's listening to this who who stayed with us i really appreciate it thank you talk to you soon all right thank you lisa marie bye-bye bye, -bye. bye, -bye. thank you for listening to my podcast feel free to reach out for a reading you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at A Spiritual Reading. Stop by my website at spiritual readings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you and sharing this journey.